Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Yeah, thank you for all of those of you engaging with us on the text line. Remember, you can always text me during the show. Pretty much anything. Just, you know, keep it it kind. Uh, 877-933-2484. Visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. All right. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, ran out of time last night to form a new government. So the mandate expired last night, which means that now President Rivlin is going to grant the mandate to form a government um, to one of Netanyahu's political rivals. So it's possible that Israel uh, could have a government that actually doesn't even include current Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. That is a curious development overnight internationally. Also uh, yesterday, a legal team For uh, Derek Chauvin, a former Minneapolis police officer, uh, they filed a motion yesterday asking for a new trial, alleging that the state, quote, uh, committed pervasive prejudicial prosecutorial misconduct, which deprived Chauvin of his constitutional rights to due process and a fair trial. If you have um, seen media reports about one juror and his affiliation with Black Lives Matter, you probably know the underlying uh, conversation related to this. Um, so I want to bring Bill English on um, as soon as possible today because he and I have so many things to talk about, leading off with his brand new book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership, an introduction for Christian entrepreneurs on what the Bible says about owning a business. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The website is bibleandbusiness.com. The Twitter follow at Bible Business. The book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. The author, the man behind it all, Bill English. Hey, welcome back, man. Hey, it's good to be back. It's finally good to hear your voice. I think it's been, what, close to two months. It's been too long. Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah. yeah, the people have been wondering where is Bill? Where in the world is Bill? They were they were you creating you know artwork. They were it was a whole <laughs> yeah it was a whole Waldo homage. Okay, so um, okay. Uh, a Christian theology of business ownership. Why do we need this, and what's in it? We need this because business owners don't have a theological framework from which to uh, operate their business, and the evangelical community doesn't really know how to think about business ownership. The genesis of this book, Carmen, I was sitting in a in a Sunday school class at my church, you know, probably 10 years ago now, and <clears throat> you know how conversations meander in some of these discussion-oriented classes? 
And it meandered into business ownership for about 30 seconds and then meandered out. But there was a guy sitting two seats down from me, and he mutters under his breath, well, you have to be greedy if you're going to be a business owner. And I, I was just mm. stunned that anybody would think that. And so I thought, you know, he doesn't have a proper view of business ownership, A. And B, I wonder what the Bible has to say about owning a business. And that, that plus a couple of other things um, propelled me. Uh, to get going on writing a book about what the Bible has to say about business ownership. The the evangelical community needs a common theological framework in which to have discussions around ownership, entrepreneurship, the creation of wealth, what to do with profits, and how God views all of this stuff. And right now we're adopting an American political view, and I would rather that we adopted a biblical view. So the difference um, is significant, and the way that Christians think about ownership of anything, right, is actually a part of the conversation in the culture today. Um, talk with us uh, about, you know, the difference in working for a company and owning it, or working for well, an enterprise and owning it. Yeah, working for the enterprise, you don't have the same stewardship responsibilities that you have if you actually own it. Because uh, if you own a business, then that is an entrustment from God. Remember, in God's economy, God owns everything. He owns everything. He owns all of our money, our houses, our wealth, our business, everything. So when God uh, gives you something, that is an entrustment of something that he owns to you. And so as a result, when you own a business, that is an entrustment from God. And there are, there are certain uh, responsibilities that you have towards God. There are certain opportunities that you have in the spiritual realm to use that business to further God's kingdom. And there are, there are a few uh, uh, certain opportunities that you have and authorities that you have to really speak into the lives of your employees and to help them uh, become all that they can be. And in some instances, help them find the Lord uh, in, in the process. Being an employee is not bad. That's certainly one way to create wealth. I'm an employee right now. I, I, I'm only a partial owner in the business that I'm, that I'm running, and I'm not the majority. I'm a small minority owner. Um, but I've also been on the other side where I've been the majority owner in a business. So I, I've been on both sides of that. Either way is a fine way to generate wealth, and both have their stewardship responsibilities. Um, we need to get the evangelical community to see business owners as part of the team, part of the team that's moving uh, the kingdom of God forward in the marketplace, not just the, the people who write the big checks so we can build nice buildings. Um, all right. So, uh, Jim from Simsbury, I don't know if, uh, if Bill English ever attended a Northwest, uh, Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, but that gives me an opportunity to plug the one that's coming up in July. Um, so thanks for that opportunity. And yes, to the person from the 320 area code who wants to know, are you giving copies of this book away? Indeed we are. If you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of A Christian Theology of Business Ownership by Bill English, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, okay, so I'm wondering if um, the sermon that you preached on stewardship in your home church um, is uh, is illustrative of what we might find in the book, because I went to BibleandBusiness.com, and I found um, that you have preached a sermon on the context of stewardship, and I learned a lot about you in reading the sermon. 
Oh, yeah, thanks. It's actually a four-part series, and uh, this coming Sunday I preach the third, and then on uh-huh. on the 16th I preach the last. And <clears throat> I have a Bible and Business YouTube channel that is linked to in various places from BibleandBusiness.com. Uh, but if you just Google oh yeah, it says Bible. view the video here. Actually, if you just yeah. go and you, yeah, you go to bibleandbusiness.com and you look at the lead article, which is the context of stewardship. Right there, it right. says view the video here. I just missed that, so there you go. Very no, cool. don't, don't worry about it. And and so yes, the that is illustrative of what's in the book. The four sermons that I'm preaching are um, are all taken from the book and then recontextualized and re reworked uh, to be good as a sermon. You know, I love so. that which is might be helpful to pastors out there who are thinking, oh, how can I help my people since I don't have a business degree and I've, I've just always worked for the church and I don't know how to talk about these things. Bill English is not only teaching you how to talk about these things in the book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. He's demonstrating it in a series of sermons at his home church, which you can, uh, which you can read and, um, and then you can also watch bibleandbusiness.com. Okay, Bill, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying cool stuff, it, man. you know. Yeah, God's God's call is is on me, and uh, I feel His pleasure when I write, and I feel His pleasure when I preach. Hmm. So I had a friend who, um, in in answering the first question to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, you know, what is the chief end of man? Um, he mm-hmm. just summarized it as cause God joy. <laughs> and so I think when you I say. Like Right when you say it delights, it delights me. It also delights God. Right? It delights yeah, God yeah. that we bring Him into focus, no matter what we're thinking about, no matter what we're working on, no matter what we're seeking to do. You know, to bring God not only into focus, but let Him do what He wants to do. It's all His anyway, which is ultimately the point of what you're talking about. It's such a foretaste of what we're going to have in eternity. We're going to be with God. We're going to see him face to face. It's going to be intimate and beautiful and wonderful. And the uh, stewarding his entrustments here on this earth is just a wonderful foretaste of what it's going to be like to reign with him in heaven. It's going to be wonderful. Okay. Jane not only wants a book, she wants you to sign it. <clears throat> yeah, I so will. I will sign all the books before they go out. Well, I'm just letting you know that the response on the text line has been robust, and so we might need more books. So uh, if you would like to enter the drawing for the books we have to give away from Bill English, the book is A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Bill and I will be right back. Soy amado por ti, tal como soy, como soy. Okay, you can read a lot about a guy, or you can learn a lot about a guy um, reading their bio on Amazon, on their author page. I learned all kinds of things about you, Bill, that I did not know. You have have so many degrees. How many pieces of paper are hanging on the wall, man? That is a lot of... Two two postgraduate certificates from Villanova, one in strategic organizational leadership, the other in business process management, a third postgraduate certificate from the University of Notre Dame in negotiations. You've written 14 technical books. I mean, okay, so I know you've been, I believe you have possibly been, you've been hiding your light under a bushel. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. I, Um, I don't toot my horn. I know, but I'm just saying, okay, you, um... You you were named a Microsoft Most Valuable Professional for 11 years, 
and yeah. you're a Minnesota licensed psychologist. Well, that I knew because I feel like you're constantly just, you know, in my head. Yeah, that maybe does not surprise me. <laughs> I don't know about All right, that. All can, right, you can find Bill um, online at bibleandbusiness.com, where you can also uh, follow him on all the socials and on his cool YouTube channel and all of that. Hey, let's um, let's run around in a few of the headlines, and let me just get, like, your hot takes. Sure. Can we do that? Sure. Okay, Bill's go. hot takes on, on headlines. So I'm reading this one from the Washington Post. Um, the, battle for, uh, the battle for 1042 Cutler Street. This is about landlords and tenants all going broke across the United States. The next crisis point of the pandemic approaches. Um, what's going on here and maybe how how should we view it? Yeah, my take is that uh, the laws are already tilted very much in favor of tenants and, and against landlords. Uh, and um, if tenants don't pay their rent, landlords go bankrupt. And when they go bankrupt, then no one has a place to rent because the, the properties get foreclosed and the banks aren't going to sit there and manage it. They're going to sell them and, and do whatever they can to get whatever money they can out of them. So. Um, it's not what, you know, allowing people to not be evicted has also had the unintended consequence of allowing people to not pay rent. And this is forcing a lot of landlords into uh, really close to bankruptcy, if not bankruptcy on their on their business properties. Um, to my way of thinking, the government well-intended action to, to protect people from being evicted but at the same time, they've, they've created an unintended, unintended consequence, which is hurting the landlords. Okay, so um, some of these people are saying, you know, well, I can't pay my rent because I don't have a job. But there are 5 million job yeah. openings right now. What is going on? I see signs all over my community where, you know, people are desperate to hire. And, and seemingly people, what, are unwilling to work or they're unwilling to work for what's being offered? They're well. They're unwilling to work outside of what they where they want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, look, we're seeing an upward pressure on uh, on salaries. We we're hiring at the company I'm at, and um, uh, we're seeing a ten to fifteen percent uh, upward pressure on compensation right now uh, to get good good talent in the door. It's costing us more than what it would have cost us a year ago. That's that's just the market. It's an employee's market. Five million jobs. If people want a job, they can find one. It may not be what they want to do. It may not be in an area that they like in terms of a, a, a skill set. But there's jobs out there. People can get them if they want them. Um, all right. And there are um, going to be, I think, a lot of commercial properties for sale I think there are going to be a lot of houses for sale, all of these ones that we have just discussed where um, landlords aren't going to be able to continue owning these rental properties where people are not paying their rent. Uh, There are already a lot of churches for sale. I read an interesting headline here, and I just uh, sort of wanted you to give me a hot take on this one, too. Um, So he's referred to as a former altar boy. I think that it would best be described Mm -hmm. as the kid who grew up across the street from an Akron church that was built on property that his grandfather originally gave to the the Roman Catholic Church. Um, He bought back this church property um, so that it would be preserved and well cared for. I like this story. I do, too. I do, too. And and we're going to see more of that. Where churches, uh, the physical properties are being uh, repurposed for other, whether they're condos or gyms or, you know, small shopping centers or something like that or office buildings. Um, it's it's going to happen. 
uh, because we're having a decline in church attendance and churches across this nation. And that, why that's happening is a discussion, I guess, for a different day. Um, but yeah, it, it's inevitable. This is, this is you know, destructive capitalism at work in my estimation. So I like this guy. Um, he says, uh, you know, his family was very involved in the parish life. Obviously, he lived right across the street growing up. He was baptized there. He was an altar boy. And because he lived so close to the church, I was called to uh, serve in thousands of masses and funerals and weddings over the years, but I was never allowed to play the organ. Growing up, you were never allowed to play the organ. So when I bought it, my mission was to figure out how to turn on the organ, and I figured it out. I like that spirit. <laughs> it's good for him. <laughs> right? I like that. Um, all I right. The original, the original family business um, in America, actually the original family business everywhere, is farming. Uh, generational interest in farming. Um, well, it's on the rise among people who didn't grow up on farms, but uh, among those who did grow up on farms, um, the sustainability of the current model of agriculture in America has apparently, like apparently, apparently government regulations and the costs of farming have risen so much that um, that people are leaving farming. Um, family farms are for sale across the country and in foreclosure in many, many places. Um, do you do you know folks who are in this situation and can we speak into it? I don't know any farmers personally who are under foreclosure or who are not doing well. What I can tell you is that we worked with an implement dealer to turn them around uh, in here in the upper Midwest, and I was stunned at the prices of implements that farmers have to pay. It's not uncommon for them to pay two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollars for a tractor, and then you got to yeah. pay more to to buy the implements that they pull or push. And um, the the just the, the raw cost of farming is so expensive relative to the amount of money that you make per bushel on something that it's just it's putting a lot of them out of business. Um, and it doesn't help uh, that. Well, I, I won't get into that. So, look, it it's uh, it's really a tragedy. And this is why large corporations are being formed to farm tens of thousands of acres, because that's the only way they can get the economies of scale to make money at farming. Mm. It, it's really a shame. The family farm is going by the wayside, and and I don't, I don't have an easy answer for that. All right. One more um, farm-related headline uh, that both made me sort of laugh and cringe simultaneously, <clears throat> and I think it would be fun to get your take on this. Um, in Oregon, there is an initiative to ban... Um, animal slaughter, and all breeding that would be uh, related to feeding people. It would classify the slaughter of an animal for food as aggravated abuse, um, and uh, and it would redefine castration as sexual assault. This is just lunacy around a muck. It is, it really but, it, is. but they're going to vote on it. It's a ballot initiative in Oregon. Well, you know what? If they pass this thing... They're going to become the largest importer of meat of any state in the nation because people well, there you go. want hamburgers. They want steak. You know You know what? Oregon could pass a law that everybody has to walk on all fours. But you know what? People are people. We're going to walk on two, not four. <laughs> and you take meat away, and they're just going to go to Washington and California and other, other states, and they're just going to import it. <laughs> There's going to be all of those places like right on the border, right? Like you have them in states where you, you know, like you can't 
where they don't have the lottery or whatever. And so there's like all these like lottery sales places right yeah. on the border. That's what it's going to be. There's going to be like a line of burger joint, like, just or you know, instead of yeah. instead of in Nevada I, having just... state line casinos in Oregon, there you're you going to have state line meat, state line steak, state line hamburgers. state line steak. Let's just start the company right now. State line you know, steak. We're gonna actually, we're gonna buy the, the last parcel of land just outside of Oregon <laughs> in every direction. We might even set up boats along the uh, along the coastline. Yeah, my this grass is, fed what... my grass fed <sighs> cattle in my field right now. My two steers and my um, and my one female who wandered in of her own accord. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there you go. You know, I God love talking to you. I've missed you. Uh-huh, I've missed you, you too. I've missed you I've too. Missed you. So. Okay, well, we look forward to talking with you again. Again, that is Bill English. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. Yes, we are giving away copies of his excellent book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. And you can still text in uh, for the drawing. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. What do friends do and what do pastors do when they have um, somebody like Billy Graham in their circle of friendship and under their pastoral um, guidance? Well, Billy Graham's longtime friend and pastor is Don Wilton, and his book opens this way. I'll never fully understand why Dr. Billy Graham loved me as he did. The joy of sitting at his feet for so many years will remain deeply embedded in my heart for the rest of my life. I am forever grateful to the Lord Jesus. Uh, their relationship was um, was unique, and Don now shares it in a brand new book, Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. Don will join me next. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Doing good does good for the doer. Research bears this out. When volunteers were put in a functional MRI scanner and told that they would be giving some of their money to charity, the areas of their brains associated with pleasure, like food and sex, lit up like Christmas trees. Giving to others triggers dopamine. Perhaps that could be a new fundraising slogan. In another study, a team of social psychologists distilled happiness factors into eight common denominators. Two of the first three involve helping others. Happy, contented people devote a great amount of time to their family and friends, nurturing and enjoying those relationships. And they are often the first to offer a helping hand to co-workers and passers-by. Seeking joy? Do good for someone else. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens. Gracias, Again, our bumper music today is all in Spanish. We're celebrating Cinco de Mayo with our Spanish language friends. Um, so joining me now, Pastor Don Wilton. This is absolutely a delight today. We are sharing with you a brand new book. In fact, it's not even out yet. Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. It actually drops on April the 13th, but we've got Don here with us today. Don Wilton, welcome Welcome. Oh, it's it's uh, April 13th. It's already May. All right. I feel better. Uh, I feel better. 
I didn't want to be like way ahead of the publication date. There you go. Welcome, Don, to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you, Carmen. It's uh, just an absolute delight to be with you and, and, and our listeners. What a fantastic time and just a total joy. It's so fun. It's so fun to have you here. Okay, so for 15 years, you drove what I have um, estimated to be an hour and a half each way to spend Saturdays with Billy Graham. Okay, what did you do and what did you talk about and how did you choose the 20 stories that you share in Saturdays with Billy? <laughs> well, you thank you so much. Uh, you know, it actually was longer than, than 15 years, not that that matters, but uh, it actually began in 1993. Uh, it was really close to 25 years. Wow. Um, it was very interesting. It was very interesting, Carmen, because um, from, you know, the first time that he invited me up there um, for the first 10 years, um, our friendship just grew to uh, such a very precious level, and uh, I just never talked about it. We never share. I never shared or told people. My wife knew about it, and a couple of close friends. But um, because of who Mr. Graham was, um, I just never told a lot of people. And then uh, in 2005, he he called me one day, and I, I went up there to the house, and he. Um, had all his staff and everybody was there, and he, he announced that he was asking me if he could officially become a member of our church at First Baptist Spartanburg in the upstate of South Carolina. It was just a wonderful time, and then he went public with it. And uh, when he announced that publicly, of course, it was picked up by media and people all around the world. That was when everything went public. And so... Um, I enjoyed uh, just the most amazing privilege of sitting at the feet of this wonderful man. And uh, for all those years, being with him, mostly in private, the two of us, uh, our friendship was very deep. And uh, I tell many people that, uh, you know, he asked me to hold his hand while he went to heaven. And that literally took place. And even in Saturdays with Billy... Um, in one of my chapters there, I, I write about the last time I was with him just before he passed on and, and went to be seated at the feast table of the king. So, Carmen, our, um, <clears throat> our relationship uh, was two people um, it, having a friendship that was just unparalleled, that doesn't make sense. I've told people, um, if, if you want a picture of this, and I really mean this, this, this picture of, of Billy Graham and Don Wilton, literally, you would see a nobody who thought he was somebody sitting, talking, and fellowshipping with a somebody who really thought he was a nobody. Everything was backwards. Because Dr. Billy Graham was such a humble, such a humble and precious man of God. And so Saturdays with Billy is not a biography. I make no effort. There's, there's no biography. There are many wonderful biographies about Mr. Graham's life and testimony. This is a very unique book, Saturdays with Billy, that... I sat down at the request of the publishers and others 
and, and wrote from my heart, giving somewhat of a very deeply personal reflection of a continual conversation with uh, uh, this man, Dr. Billy Graham, in an effort to show the reality of his heart as a person. And I, and I think we're very grateful as to what God uh, has accomplished and what we've been able to produce through Saturdays with Billy. It's a beautiful book. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful book. The pictures are beautiful. It's a beautiful book in that it is written in a way um, that really does draw the reader in. Um, and again, friends, if you're listening right now, I'm talking with Don Wilton. Um, we are talking about his new book, Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. And yes, we have copies uh, to give away. So if you are interested in entering the drawing, go ahead and text the word book to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. Don, I feel confident that there are stories. Well, I know there are that didn't make it into the book. You tell twenty; they are each and every one absolutely precious. Um, what would have been story twenty-one? I I think that uh, story twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-five, and seventy. <laughs> You know, the the funny thing is, I'm sure our, our listeners will appreciate, um, if if I may just say this, to, to put that into context. I actually write in Saturdays with Billy about very early in, in my relationship with him. I mean, very early. This was in, the, in like 1993, 94. Um, we were up there, and my wife, Karen, was with me, and... Uh, we were having tea with Mr. and Mrs. Graham. I mean, Mrs. Ruth Graham was just the most beautiful, precious lady one can possibly imagine. Just loved her so much. Not half as much as Mr. Graham did, but uh, just loved her and missed her so much after she went to heaven. And uh, Mr. Graham suddenly got up. This was, He was still in crusades and meeting with prime ministers and presidents. We had everybody coming around. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing time. And he got up to go to the study or something. Something inside of me said, this is my opportunity. <laughs> and I, I reached down and picked up my big old bazooka video camera and started taking a picture of Karen and Miss Ruth having tea together, and all of a sudden, Mr. Graham came back into the room. (laughs) And I looked over my shoulder and saw his look on his face. Something told me this was not a very good idea. And uh, I I very quickly put the uh, video camera back in its bag. That was the last recording ever that I made uh, of me and Mr. Graham. So... To your question, what would I write about? I would continue the recording that I have in my heart Mm. that covers so many conversations, um, so many things that were in his heart, because our conversation was about family, about friends, about occasions, about hurts, uh, Carmen, about pain, about... um, suffering, Um, so many queries about the Word of God, understanding God's Word, the work of the Holy Spirit, um, 
the manner, the, the world in which we lived. We talked endlessly uh, about end times and about how God's word uh, speaks to the day and age in which we live. It, it was mm. like he was verbal prophet common. He saw things and understood things that would leave me uh, symbolically with my mouth open. And we talked for hours and we fellowshiped. And while this was going on, we were playing with the dogs. You know, we were walking on the trails behind the house. <laughs> we, were, mm-hmm. we were laughing. I would make him laugh his head off, you know, and uh, he loved that. He loved he loved my sense of humor, and and I write about his humor uh, in the book. You know, I talk about that. What what mm-hmm. made this? He, um, how do you interpret him? And what 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 did he enjoy? What did he love? And how did he relate to life? He was a wonderful family man. His family meant so much, and his beloved wife, Miss Ruth, uh, was the treasure of his heart. Uh, there were so many times after she went to heaven, we would we would be having tea together or eating barbecue ribs or doing something together, and he would see her. I, I'm just telling you, he would he would see her, and he would talk to me about it. He would mm. tell me about dreams. Um, he would have dreams, and many times uh, in the last ten years, I would go up, and he'd say. He'd say, Don, I, I had a dream last night. And so for the next <laughs> for the next hour, uh, we'd be sitting there talking about these dreams that he that he would have and uh, and how what what we thought it meant, if you understand mm. what I'm saying. Sure. You know? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean yeah, absolutely. All right, Don, you and I have to take a very, very brief break. I am talking with Pastor Don Wilton. We are talking about his new book, Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. We'll be right back. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Don Wilton. We're talking about his book and his experience, really, Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. They spent countless Saturdays together over many, many years. Uh, Don was Billy Graham's pastor, preached at his funeral, opened the Bible with him, walked with him in the woods. These are the stories of of the heart of a friend, um, and it's just it's just a delight to read. If you would like to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away, just text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Don, you say in the book uh, that Billy's life mission was really people. Um, I'm going to read just read this one brief quote and ask you to reflect on it. As he sat and stared, it was as though he was back among those tribes and cultures. He could hear their languages. He could remember the interpreters who would help him spread the message of hope. The people were his life's mission. His eyes were firmly fixed on them. Carmen, it was uh, Mr. Graham had the world in his eyes held tightly into the frame of his heart. And he would, and and these are my words, uh, obviously, it was as though he was seeing every individual person through the eyes of the Lord Jesus. 
When Mr. Graham Mm. spoke about people, he spoke about them collectively as people, but he saw them individually in the presence of the Lord. And and he was he was so passionate about the fact that Christ died for every single person. And we would we would talk when he spoke about nations, about crusades, you and I uh, particularly me, I would see these crusades and be a part of these meetings where there were, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. When he spoke, he he would see one person at a time, one person at a time. I would mm. I would him and reflect upon the masses of people who would respond during that invitation when he would invite uh, you to come from the top of the stadium. Why don't you come? And you'd see all these people. He would talk about them in terms of that one person at a time. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing thing. And he, that was, that was very particularly seen in the way in which he spoke to and treated every person. Because I was with him. It didn't matter whether the person who was with us was the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of England or the Queen of England, or whether that person uh, was the man who uh, raked the leaves on his front lawn. Um, It didn't matter to him. He spoke to everybody the same way, and he looked at them the same way, and you could feel the same compassion and love in the same way. He was not a respecter of persons in terms of status or ability. He, he looked at people as people for whom Christ died, imminently capable of doing wonderful things in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the immense potential of every individual person. It is a a very precious um, and honorable look into the life of a man whom we all revere, and that is Billy Graham. But you do so in such a way, Don. It's just so sweet. Um, the book is Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. The author is Don Wilton, uh, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. What an absolute delight. Thank you, Carmen, for having me. What a privilege. I'm so grateful to you. And I would be remiss if I didn't remind you as chief to get a plan together for Ducky this Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. I need <laughs> Blessings. that. Blessings. Ducky is worth every bit. <laughs> Blessings. All right, friends, uh, we are giving away copies of the book today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Saturdays with Billy, my friendship with Billy Graham. We'll be right back. All right, what a day. What a delight. Um, If you missed any portion of today's program or you think to yourself, I'd really like to share that with someone else, Paul uh, Perot very dutifully posts the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. You can go and get it and share it with someone else. You can do so from the Faith Radio app as well. We've got, um, you know, the reason that we do what we do at MyFaithRadio.com, like online, is in order that you can go beyond the experience of listening to a program and actually engage the material. So um, we, we have all kinds of equipping resources available 
for you at MyFaithRadio.com. And so if you've never engaged us there online, I really invite you to do that. Check out what is uh, what is on the site, all of the things that we're doing um, week in and week out, month in and month out in terms of opportunities and giveaways and courses and equipping materials uh, are all posted there. So just, just check it all out for me today. I'd really appreciate it. Um, thank you for those of you who have texted in your encouragement about the music in this hour. It is Cinco de Mayo. Um, maybe listen to some praise music today in Spanish and just broaden your view of the world. Maybe have the eyes of Billy Graham that we heard about from Don Wilton. Do we see people individually? I mean, you know, not just the masses of humanity. Do we do see people individually? Christ died for each one of them, each and every one of them. Every person you see today is a person for whom Christ died. Maybe if we had those eyes and that heart, it might also change the way that we uh, speak to them and about them and work um, for, frankly, for the benefit of all. All right, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.